May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, at this point in the Easter season, Easter week five, with joyful hymns and with longer days, and with Lent now far behind us, we have moved out of our interior reflection into celebration. Today, there is even a reading from Revelation. And it's an incredible reading. Just in these few verses, we get four of the greatest eschatological themes all woven together. New creation, a new Sinai-like covenant, if you remember back from Exodus with part of the Sinai covenant being that God will now dwell with God's people as they move. So a restoration of that. Um, we have the new city, whatever that means. And apparently we have a happy bliss for all who see God. The language and the images of Revelation are relatively unfamiliar to us partially because it can be hard to know what to do with this book. It's not something that we can approach with our own common sense or with a math theorem to calculate anything. And whether we are individually more inclined to take what is in there more literally or more figuratively, what we see in Revelation are that God's promises in the end are wonderful and the love that Jesus has for us is on display and remarkable. It is precisely for this reason, after a long Lent and the ongoing chaos brought on by the pandemic and the underlying divisions that have blossomed because of it, that maybe revelation can soothe us simply because it's a brief escape into something that sounds better than the present. But the present is where we find ourselves. And in the gospel reading today, we are reminded by Jesus that if we follow him, that we should love his other followers. Maybe you've heard the saying that there are only four chapters in the Bible where everything really goes great according to God's plan. The first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation where we find ourselves today. Well, that's not fair to so many other great passages in the Bible where God is doing God's thing and it's amazing and there's redemption and reconciliation. But it can be helpful to see it this way and to take a look at the beginning as we talk about the ending. For example, in today's Revelation 21 reading, as we just heard, the sea is no more. Well, that sounds disappointing at least for most of us. But we think differently of the sea now. Imagine how wild and dreadful the sea could seem to those who lived thousands of years ago. Writers at the time would often attribute the chaos in the world to the sea, including the monsters they feared that lived within it. And they wrote that into Scripture. In the first creation story, in the beginning, the Spirit hovered over these waving waters, and it was dark, 
There wasn't nothing at the beginning. There was chaos. But God separated these waters, Genesis 1 tells us, into create a vault or a dome where there was waters of chaos both underneath and both above the sky. And these are the same waters just a few chapters later in Genesis that burst forth from below and that crashed down from above in a shocking judgment from God in the flood. Waters of chaos. But here at the end, when we get to Revelation, there's not crashing water. There's a spring of water. The message in Revelation is that chaos and destruction are no more. So what do we do with this today when we come back from our escape? How do we reflect on these powerful images and promises and revelation and the work that they might help us with in our lives to calm the chaos that surrounds us? Where is our chaos? For many of us, it simmers in our relationships. They can be challenging, discouraging, uninspired, and even contentious. And this is precisely why we need this image from Revelation. So with an eye on eternity and our feet in this world, what does it look like to love one another? Are there opportunities out there if we look and listen for them? Because here's the thing, Jesus wants us to exhibit a love that would identify us as disciples. Jesus prayed that we would be one, just as he and the Father are one. And if we are one, if we love each other, that people would know that Jesus is from God. That's great. That's great. How about that? What that means is if we had the audacity to love each other, that people would know Jesus. If we're Episcopalians worth our salt, then a lot of us are going to know this old song that we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that our unity will one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they will know we're Christians by our love. And sometimes I look around today and I go, is that how they know us? Recently, Rowan Williams, the 104th Archbishop of Canterbury, was asked a question about how to build bridges and friendships between people with deep dis disagreements and differences. How do we come to a place where we love one another when we're divided? Between us and our friends here sometimes, between us and other denominations and religions, even between our fractured and divorced Anglican church here in the United States, which is so difficult for me at the moment. And the archbishop assured the listeners that bridge building was important work for rectors and for parishioners in the cities scattered across the country. And he suggested something surprising, something unexpected, and something that was not welcomed at first. This former archbishop wrote relationships all over the world, this incredible poet, one of the greatest Anglican theologians of our time, 
with great authority in our communion, said the most effective way that he has ever seen people come together to love each other, to forge friendships, to navigate difficult divisions, is to be present and sit and listen while the other person prays. To listen while the other person prays. In listening to someone else pray, we see authenticity in their faith. We learn how they see God. We learn how their dependence on God is significant. And when there's disagreement, running from opportunities like this is often what we desire because listening may even appear to give credibility to someone's faith that we hold the deep disagreements with. This is just the beginning of the work, though. And there must be mutuality in this listening relationship. But it can be the spark that allows two people to see the Spirit of God reflected in and at work in one another. And maybe what it does is help us suspend judgment just long enough to get curious and ask questions. And maybe it allows the space where God can begin making something new. In our readings today, Jesus has given his followers a new commandment. It is to love one another if they have any intention of sharing the gospel news and that Jesus is in the business of making all things new. Since it's Revelation 21, and it would be easy to have the assumption that here at the end, all things have been made new. The new city has arrived. We're good now. If you look it up in the Greek, the word to make here is in the present active indicative, indicating that Jesus is saying, I am making. There is a constant newness to heaven, which makes us remember that there should be a constant new commitment for us each time we decide to love someone or keep loving someone. And here is where we look to the relationship that God's, God has with God's people. There is a desire for oneness with God. God wants to give love and receive it in return. But God has given humanity the ability to reject divine love. God's extravagant gift of love for us, one that can be rejected, illuminates the risk of reaching out to love one another for us. As omnipotent as God is in this relationship, God becomes vulnerable. God can be rejected. And it is precisely this vulnerability that is so important for us in loving like God. We must risk where it's not dangerous for us. We must offer friendship, care, and support for each other, even with the risk of rejection. We must love bravely with vulnerability. We can listen to the prayers of others, and it's like what's happening in the renewed city. At this point, all language is the language of prayer to God. And it's as if we forget that all language today, here and now, is the language of prayer to someone or something. 
There will be different languages and people from every tribe. There will be great diversity. And yes, there will likely be some people who maybe we preferred not to spend eternity with if we had our own way. Thank you very much. And the author of Revelation gives us these rich images. Perhaps as something to look forward to and perhaps as a metaphor for the completeness and wholeness of God's plan and love for us. The sea of chaos is gone, replaced by the river of life, giving nourishment to the tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. Darkness has been replaced by light, and there is no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of God gives all light and the radiance of Jesus illuminates everything even through us. There is a continually refreshed newness in an eternity that feels more like one present moment. It ends really well. And this is our charge, to find ourselves present to each moment with others in prayer and in relationship so that in loving one another, we can go out into the world and live God's love. Amen.